Good. Um, I think um, Holly wanted to provide a report on how the uh, food was at the fair this week. You didn't go. Okay. It was all right. Did anyone have like a submission of like best fair food? What's that? Ask Josh. John, Josh won the hot dog eating contest. What? How many? Seven and a half in five minutes? $100. Wow. That is pretty awesome. That is an exciting fair week right there. Maybe not, a, not so exciting a day to day. Um, yeah. A donut right after. Yeah, you got to wash it down, right? Yeah. Well, if you don't know me, (laughs) my name is David, and I rock at transitions from the welcome time to the sermon. So (laughs) let's let's do this. Um, Before we get going into talking today, let's let's just uh, continue in worship and prayer. That's all right. Let's pray. God, our desire is to see you for who you are and experience the Holy Spirit, so we are equipped properly to be able to do your work. Soften our hearts, allow us to hear what you have for us this morning. And uh, we long to see your mission fulfilled. Um, let this be one step closer to your kingdom, we ask in your son's name. Amen. Well, we've been in this series, this nuts and bolts series, talking about the fundamentals of our faith. What makes us a Christian? Or what does it mean to be a Christian? So the first week, we looked at God. Uh, we kind of started from this question of, is this all there is? Just really fundamental question about existence. And we found that we have a big God and he's the purpose for all these things. And then we looked at Jesus to ask and discover who he was. And we found out that he was God, but he's also the one who saves us. He's our savior and he is our Lord. And then last week we looked at the Holy Spirit and we found that the Holy Spirit is our God. He's living within us. He's moving in us, um, equipping us, allowing us to do the work, calling us to do the work of the kingdom. So today we're going to take our next steps. We're going to get a little practical with these nuts and bolts. And I think that's what happens is if you have these fundamentals in place, something happens where we are transformed. So let's look at this passage, Micah 6, 8. And it says, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And what I think this is, is basically a restatement of those three things. So we're going to go a little bit out of of order, but the first thing, to walk humbly, that's speaking about our position to this great God, is if we see him as a great God, then our position is to be underneath him, walking humbly before him. The second thing is we love mercy, and that's all about Jesus, who executed mercy on us. He brought us into restoration and healing with our God. So if we see him as our savior, then we're in love with what he has done to save us and restore us to our God. And then the third thing, to do what is right. In some translations, you use the word justice here. I want to put a pin in that word for a minute because we're going to come back to it. But this is the Holy Spirit moving in us, transforming us, and equipping us to do his work. And I, I thought about this idea a couple, this was a, I don't remember what month it was, but it was a while back, one of my sermons, I was talking about this transformation that takes place. And I suggested a picture uh, to help us to capture what that looked like. And I had mixed responses from everyone. Some of you thought it was a good idea. Some of you maybe gave me a hard time about it. But I suggested that we become love zombies. 
Remember that, that as we are transformed, that we become these beings that are bent on finding people that God loves and demonstrating love to them like a zombie desires to go after flesh and brains and all of that. So, you know, I don't, I don't know why people didn't think that was a great picture for us. Um, but if that weren't junior high enough and thinking about the idea of the Holy Spirit coursing through our veins inside of us, I started to think about comic book characters. So I got a picture. This one is Bane from Batman. Look at that guy. It's ridiculous. So he's got this contraption on his back and the stuff is pumping through his veins and it gives him superpowers. So he looks very strange like that. And he's able to do stuff he wouldn't ever be able to do otherwise. Another one uh, for you children of the 90s. Remember Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Secret of the Ooze, you know, go ninja, go ninja, go. Um, All of that. And there's this, the bad guy and that was Shredder. And he found a vial of this ooze that was used to transform these small turtles into teenagers. That's what happens to turtles when they come into, into, into contact with goo, I guess. Um, and they also learn ninja powers from their friend the rat, Splinter. Um, it's, it's all very likely to take place in the sewers in some major city, I suppose. Uh, so Shredder, the bad guy, he gets a hold of this stuff and it explodes on him and even gets on his like spikes and they grow too. I don't know how that works. But he becomes this super Shredder, this, uh, this being who can do things wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And so all analogies break down. This one breaks down pretty quickly. Um, But the idea is there is that when we have these fundamentals in place, when we see God for who he is as a great God, and then we see Jesus for who he is, the one who saves us, our Savior, our Lord, and then we experience the Holy Spirit moving inside of us, we are transformed into something new. And today we're going to talk about what that looks like then. What then do we do? What are the practical steps? And that's where we're going to talk about mercy today. And remember, I said earlier that I wanted to put a pin in the word justice and come back to that because I don't think you can talk about mercy without talking about justice. The first thing to understand is that justice and mercy are not enemies. And I think that's a hard thing to capture because in our culture, what do we think about when we think about justice? We think about the court systems, right? And in that, we usually think someone breaks the law and justice is accomplished when they are punished, right? So we start to equate justice with punishment. It's actually pretty easy to look at some of the Old Testament ideas because we have the law in the Old Testament. And then we have people who stand against the law, people who stand against Jesus. And what happens is punishment. So, but I think that's a wrong belief. And it's very important because if God is just... And if God is also merciful, and by mercy, I mean he is, has the ability, he's in the position where he could execute punishment on someone who breaks the law, but he chooses to withhold. What do you do with this God when these two characteristics seem to be at odds with each other? They start to, to hit heads because, you know, is this God going to be, uh, is he going to give me punishment today or is he going to give me mercy today? It's, uh, I, I don't know what to do. It's like these two split, split personalities of this God. But I think that's the wrong idea and understanding of justice. And that will also help us in our understanding of mercy. What we need to do is really understand in the context of the full scripture what justice is so that we can rightly understand mercy. So to do that, 
We see the law in the Old Testament, right? That's the foundation for what we begin to understand what justice looks like. Let's look then at the New Testament because Jesus said himself in Matthew 5, 17, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophet. No, I had come to, I've come to accomplish their purpose. So we can then look at Jesus for a better understanding of what justice looks like. And here's the thing. In the Old Testament, it's written in the original language, uh, Hebrew, they used this word justice. And scholars, when they look at the New Testament written in, in Greek, what they found is the word justice is nowhere in there. It's just not there. So how do we understand what justice is? Well, if you read in English, you do find the word uh, mercy, sorry. Uh, no, justice. I'm getting off track. So you do find the word justice in the New Testament. So how did it get there if it's never in the, old, in the original language? So what happened is these scholars, they looked at the context in the Old Testament where the word justice was used, and they noticed that it had certain characteristics. Then they looked at the New Testament, and it's actually using this word righteousness, which means right or good, uh, absence of evil, all the things that God is. And they looked at it and saw that it was used in two different contexts. The first one is just talking about good, righteousness. So they used the word righteousness in there, and that makes a lot of sense. In the second context, when they're using the word righteousness in the New Testament, the writers are speaking in the same context that they saw the word justice used in the Old Testament. And in that context, it's all about community, it's about healing, and it's about restoration. So when they're looking at the word righteousness in the New Testament, and it's all about community healing and restoration, say, okay, this, this word justice is a better word to be able to help to frame the entire biblical picture of the word justice. So that's what we get. And I think with that, we can start to see how maybe mercy and justice can start to work together. They're not at odds with each other. In fact, justice always restores. That's what we need to understand. It always restores not about punishment, but about healing and restoration. And mercy, then, is instead not the opposition to justice, but is the execution of justice. It is the means by which restoration takes place. Here's how I look at it. God created his world, and he loves it. And he looks at it, and he sees the damage of sin. He sees its brokenness, and he sees broken relationships. And his heart breaks for the thing that he loves. And his arms reach out in order to bring healing and restoration. That's justice. Him reaching out to heal and restore. And what he reaches for is he picks up the sword of mercy and he wields it like a sword on behalf of the offended people to deliver mercy to his world, bringing healing. Now we're going to unpack that a little bit. So mercy is the execution of justice. Justice is all about restoration. The first thing to understand... um, we're going to look at two aspects of mercy than the sword that God is wielding. And that's an important idea. I really like talking about mercy in, the, in this kind of, um, the sense of it as being a weapon. And it's going to make sense in a little bit here. But mercy first restores us with our world. That's the first thing to understand about mercy. Restores us with our world. And um, this, is, this is really often something that we are called to do in our world to execute mercy on behalf of people who are wronged. We're working to restore them. And really, that's the right way to look at our court systems. Is it's not right to look at, at our court and our justice system and say, this is all about punishment. The right perspective is, is to say that it is executing mercy and justice on behalf of the people who are wronged. 
It is bringing about healing, restoration, making right people, um, the world of the people who have been wronged. And we're called to do the same thing as the church. Isaiah 117 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphan, fight for the rights of the widows. That we, we do the work of mercy, we see that there are people hurting around us, people who are offended by others, and we stand in their behalf. That brings mercy, which ultimately brings healing and restoration with their world, which is justice. So that's mercy restoring us to the world. The second part of it is mercy restores us to God. The best way I can illustrate this is just from uh, something that happened to Jesus. Let's look at this passage, John 8, 1 through 11. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back in the temple again. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up and asked, or stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they stepped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus picked up a stone and he started to stone the woman because that's what the law required. These, that's not what happened. But that, these teachers were right when they came to him and said, this is what this woman has done. She has offended the law. The right punishment for her is death. But Jesus instead chooses restoration, chooses justice by means of mercy for this woman. And he said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So I've heard this story told a number of times. I've heard people talk about like the strange behavior of Jesus bending down and riding in the dust. What was he riding? What was he painting there? What, what a strange thing to be doing. And then I heard people talk about how wise Jesus was to point, put his finger right on the problem of these teachers who were coming to him and saying, okay, fine, you throw the first stone and teaching them this important lesson there and they walk away. But honestly... I think that's missing the point, and I don't want to get distracted by any of that. And it could be that Jesus wrote it down in the sand just to keep himself from losing his temper and yelling at those guys. That what he was trying to do is tell them, just get out of here, you people. Because here's the thing. Jesus is looking at his creation, this woman standing in front of him whom he loves. And what he's seeing is brokenness and sin. And his heart is breaking for that. And in that moment, he reaches out to the thing he loves most, and he wants to restore. He wants to bring justice. So he picks up mercy as a sword, and he wields it on behalf of this woman, the offended one. That's how he sees her. And who is the enemy that he's attacking if you're wielding a sword? He's attacking evil and brokenness and sin setting this woman free from the bondage that was keeping her from restoration and healing with her creator. That's justice. That's why Jesus came to this earth, because he came to heal and restore, executing mercy on the cross to be able to bridge that gap, to set us free from sin, 
restoring us by setting us free from the true enemy. This perspective, seeing his creation, executing mercy, bringing justice to restore and heal us to God. That is true fulfillment of the law. That's why he came. And even more than that, if the enemy is death, the enemy is sin, the enemy is brokenness, and he's executing mercy, and it takes him to the grave when he's demonstrating that for us on our behalf. But that's not the end of the story. That it brings him, he brings himself to life, proclaiming victory over death. That mercy is complete. That death blow is delivered as he wields mercy. And we are restored. We have hope. That's, that is justice accomplished by mercy. That's the right perspective. And that's what we're called to have when we're looking at our world, is we need to look at it through the lens of a God who seeks to restore. We are called to get on board. Look at this. Jesus takes this pretty seriously. Uh, Matthew 18, 21 through 35 says, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. Now I want to point out, Peter does not have the right perspective here. Jesus is going to help him to see. Because what he's doing is he is seeing himself as the one who is offended by the person who lies to him or whatever it is where needing forgiveness. But Jesus is going to twist this around because we're called to do something different and look at the world through his eyes. Jesus responds, not seven times, but 70 times seven, which basically means you're asking the wrong question, Peter. You're not getting it. You don't count this kind of thing. Let me tell you. Therefore, the kingdom of God can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of the debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay this debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then the master was filled with pity for him. And he released him and forgave him his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called to the man he had forgiven and said, You're an evil servant. I forgave you a tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? The angry king sent the man to prison and tortured him until he had paid his entire debt. That's what the heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brother and sister from your heart. So this is the right perspective, and I know, Ashley, I jumped around a little bit. We're going to jump back because it's important to capture the right perspective that Jesus is teaching here. If he had told this story from Peter's perspective, from the question that he had asked earlier, when he said, how many times do I forgive someone who wrongs me? The, question, the story would have looked more like this. It would have gone like, uh, the king has this guy owes a lot of money. He brought him into him and says, pay the debt, I'm going to sell you. And he begged for forgiveness. He said, okay, you're forgiven. And then the man goes out and he finds the man who owes him a much less amount of money. 
And the, the guy who owes him the money pleads with him and says, could you please forgive me? And the guy says, okay, well, hold on. Let me think about this for a minute. I was forgiven this much. You owe me this much. Hmm. Okay, we're good because I did the math and that's less than what I was forgiven. But that is the wrong perspective. Jesus says, I forgave you. Forgive. Full stop. There's nothing else in that question. There's no equation to be had. There's no standard to be lived up to. Think about that woman back in the story earlier. When Jesus looked at him, he didn't see an adulterer, but he saw the one he loved. And he saw restoration and healing in her. All is forgiven. That's the kind of love that he has. Now, to jump back, what we need to understand in order for this perspective and how important this is, is because we are in fact at war. That's the kind of idea that I was saying earlier is when Jesus is talking about this woman, he said, I asked, who is the offender? The offender is evil. Let's look at Ephesians 6.12. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in this unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. The offender is evil. The offender is the forces who stand against God. The offender is the devil who stands against us, stands against our king. And we are called to fight. Look at 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and is given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God brought you with, bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Tom talked about this passage last week. Have you ever heard of this passage in terms of like a war passage? This is our charge as soldiers. What happens when we understand these fundamental beliefs when we, we experience the Holy Spirit moving in us because of our belief in our God as a big God and Jesus, our Savior and Lord, and the Holy Spirit moves and transforms us, we are enlisting into the service of our King. We are no longer our own. And we take on this perspective that Jesus has that the offender is evil and we stand in this fight and war against evil for those who God has created and loves, offended by evil, bringing restoration, bringing healing. Just to make this a little more of a modern picture, um, I don't know if you saw, I've ever thought about what a mercy marksman would look like. Is what if we were the kind of people who were so skilled that we deliver mercy in this world, understanding that right, un, the right framework that we are at war, fighting on behalf of God's justice to restore the world wielding mercy here, shooting mercy to those who are in desperate need, needing someone to stand on their behalf. I think about this guy I knew. Um, he had served um, in the military, and he had come back and was struggling with the things he saw and the things he experienced. And he was having a lot of issues with guilt because he was called to do things and his missions that, that were hard. And uh, he just needed someone to listen to him, but I had to occasionally remind him that when you are a soldier, you're not fighting for yourself. You've laid down your rights. You're not responsible for any of that. You are executing the mission. And at the same time, in order for us to have the understanding that Jesus taught, the perspective that he had on his creation, seeking restoration, bringing justice through mercy, we understand that we are fighting this war. We are his soldiers. We lay ourselves down. We no longer have the position of being the offended one, like Peter asked that question. We are the one who is offended is, is God himself and the people we stand on behalf of, and we are there to accomplish our mission. 
And honestly, we have some like SAS level uh, ranger type people in our community who are loving so well fighting this battle. And so for you, I hope that there's a little bit of an encouragement here. But for us, maybe people like me, we need to hear that a little bit. We need a little bit of a kick to get us into gear to get fighting in this battle. But what a beautiful thing it is. If you think about, I'm, I'm seeking hope and I'm seeking purpose in my life. Understanding who you are in your relationship with him and having his heart and his perspective on the world. Executing justice through mercy. Fighting in this battle. What a beautiful cause that is. To see people come into freedom. To see people release, released from the bondage of sin. And you don't have to go far. If you're wondering what you do in order to make this all happen, well, we have a room of people here who have been offended by evil in their lives. Some of us have come into an understanding of healing and, right, and righteousness because of what Jesus did. But we can look beyond these walls and find people who need the same kind of love and mercy demonstrated to them. Look into our community and find people who need that. Look into the... Uh, the jail post listings in our in online, if you're on Facebook, those pop up every once in a while. But who's there and not seeing the offense, but seeing the offended one from God's perspective and seeking healing and restoration? We actually have some gentlemen in here who participate in that kind of work right now. What a beautiful thing it is for us to participate of that work in, in that work of healing and restoration in the world, executing mercy. What about all over our world, the people who are hurting and need us to do battle on their behalf and bring mercy and by that bringing healing and restoration with their God? It's a beautiful thing for us to be called for, but Jesus takes it seriously. We're at war. Let's get on it. Let's get to work. That's a call for us, the church, the people who recognize those fundamental beliefs and are then transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. We have to go and fight. Because the master fought. He's at war. And we are enlisted in his army. And we participate in his work. If you've not um, accepted or come to a place where you believe those fundamental beliefs. Maybe you don't believe that he is a good God. Maybe, maybe you're having trouble experiencing how he could be such a big and good God given what you've experienced in your life. Maybe you haven't yet understood how much and how desperately you need a savior who releases you from, from the bondage of sin and calls you into restoration with your God. Maybe you haven't experienced the Holy Spirit who has transformed you. So when we talk about this idea of loving others, this seems interesting, but you, but, and you feel something maybe, but you haven't quite make it, taken steps in order to come to that place. I want to encourage you to do that today. It's a beautiful, beautiful place of the God who looks at us and says, it doesn't matter what you've done. I've already taken care of it. I've already called you into healing and relationship. I've already, I've already given the way for you to be everything you were meant to be from the beginning. Come and experience what it is to be in relationship. Experience the Holy Spirit coursing through your veins and become that super being who then is, is part of God's work to bring love and justice and mercy in the world. Do that today. We have um, every week, Mara shared earlier that we have ministry time. We're going to sing. The team's going to come up. They're going to play this song. And this time is for us. This time is for us to find healing, to find hope, to engage with our God. It's time for us to, to spend time with him. So whether you're in, in either place, whether maybe you need encouragement to continue to fight in this fight, this mercy battle, come forward for prayer to be encouraged to move forward. 
Maybe you're in a place where you're, you need to talk to someone about taking those first steps. Come forward during this song. This time is for you. We've got a team of people that will be up here to answer questions, pray for you, and help to introduce you to our king. But it's not just for those purposes. It's also for people who need healing, need just prayer. Maybe there's something going on in your life you need to come forward and have God deal with. We take this time seriously, and I absolutely want to encourage you. Like Mary said, there's no such thing as looking silly in this. This is a time for you. So we're gonna, we're gonna, the team will lead us in singing after I pray, and then um, come forward during the song, get prayer. At the end, you're dismissed at the end of the song. Uh, if you want to continue staying on in prayer, then go ahead, and um, otherwise you can, you can leave quietly, and we'll leave the space kind of sacred for people who are engaging with their God. So let's pray. God, I, um, I want to understand better what it means to be restored to you. I want to experience more and more of your love. We, um, we want to be aware of the movement of the Holy Spirit that, that draws us into that place, that equips us to do beautiful things, participating in your work to heal and re- restore. And we recognize that a battle is waging, and we are called to be a part of it. It is a beautiful victory that comes in the resurrection of your son. We are desiring to see more of your kingdom revealed, desiring to see people come into healing from a place of love like you look at them. Use your church. Bring your kingdom. Accomplish your mission. We are excited to be a part of it. Thank you so much for seeing me as yours. That there's no comparison, no measurement of the things that I have done, but just your child whom you love, the one that you draw into healing, into restoration, into relationship. Thank you for holding us. Thank you for loving us. In your son's name, amen.